You'll be aware, of course, that our theme for the year is all in. And the thing about being all in is that I don't think any of us are. I don't think any of us are. It's a journey. And I want to say that right up front because I think it can be uh, discouraging if, um, if we think in our minds that someone is all in and we're not and we'll never get there. But it's a journey. And any journey, of course, involves um, moving forward, rests, stops, starts, detours, unexpected delays, all kinds of things. And uh, that's the journey that we're on. But the main thing is that we have a destination. And in our hearts, we are wanting to head towards that destination. So I think you're well along the way to that journey of all in if in your heart that's your intention. And that's where you're wanting to head. But uh, don't beat yourself up if there are these twists and turns and delays and so forth. I was reading um, an article about stages of a Christian journey and uh, there was an expression that the author said, um, it's not about striving but about evolving. And I love that idea. The idea of striving evokes this sense of working hard and um, putting in our own effort and we know that that's not the case. The idea of evolving is changing from the inside as God leads us and works with us to be the people that he wants us to be. So let's continue to evolve into the people that God wants. But a good test for all in is simply to examine all that comes out. And I think if we consider our thoughts and our actions and um, our responses and reactions to things, our words, then that will give us some indication of how we're going on that journey. If all that's coming out is, as Jesus said in John 13.35, uh, is love. By this will everyone know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. So I think that's a really good marker for us on our journey towards all in, if all out is uh, expressing that love. Today uh, we're looking at uh, a lady um, from the Bible, and we'll read the story shortly, who was all in for Jesus, and her words and her actions conveyed that sense of love, all for love uh, towards Jesus. But uh, just to make that interesting, we'll compare that to someone who's very different. Uh, Their motives and actions uh, were anything but all in. Let's read through the passage. It's in John chapter 12. Verses 1 to 8, and uh, it'll be on the screen there. Six days before Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honour. Martha served, while Lazarus was amongst those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took about a pint, which is just under half a litre, of pure nard, an expensive perfume, She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of the disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray Jesus, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she would save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. 
Just a little bit of background on this story. Each of the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, have a story of Jesus being anointed with um, perfume. Three are very similar and one is different. The difference is the location, uh, some of the characters, the timing of that particular event in regards to Jesus' overall ministry um, and also what's said around that and what Jesus' response uh, is during that event. And so some Bible commentators suggest that perhaps there were two different occasions where Jesus was anointed with perfume. So uh, just be aware of that. If you're reading through these stories and you think, well, hang on, that wasn't the one, it could be uh, a different event. But the event occurred not long after Lazarus had been raised from the dead. So there was still a buzz in the town of Bethany about this. And it was only days before Jesus would head off to Jerusalem um, for uh, his trial and crucifixion. An act that proved he was all in for us. So I think coming up to Easter, it's, uh, it's an appropriate passage to be looking at today as, uh, as we focus on this. So apart from Jesus, there are two main characters in this story. They're the ones we're going to look at today. Uh, Mary and Judas. Now, they do have some similarities, but they have a heck of a lot of differences as well. And perhaps as we explore these, it will help you understand where you are in your journey of all in. Each of the characters, Judas and Mary, are mentioned three times, three main times in the Bible. Judas, firstly, as uh, an appointed disciple. So he was one of the original ones that Jesus called to uh, be one of the 12 disciples. So he's mentioned then. He's mentioned, obviously, in this story, and he's mentioned numerous times around the events where he betrayed Jesus um, and Jesus' uh, crucifixion. Mary is also mentioned three times. The first time is in the story of Mary and Martha, her sister, where Jesus goes to their house. Mary sits at Jesus' feet to hear from him and to learn from, uh, from this wonderful teacher. And uh, Martha's racing around serving and doing all the work and she gets her nose out of joint about that. Um, the second time we hear about Mary is when their brother Lazarus died and Jesus comes along and brings him back to life again. And then there's this story. But uh, keep in mind, of course, there's a number of Marys in the Bible, and uh, this isn't the mother of Jesus or Mary Magdalene, uh, who are mentioned in other passages. So the first similarity that I see between these two characters is both of them spent time with Jesus. Judas, being one of the disciples, obviously spent a lot more time with Jesus. In the three years of Jesus' ministry, Judas would have been around during miracles and teaching and all kinds of things. Um, they would have sat around the fire at night and talk about how the day had gone. So all those sorts of things that the disciples did, Judas was there. So spending a lot of time with Jesus. But I think from what I understand in the Bible, he wasn't a close disciple. He was around, perhaps a bit of a fringe dweller. Um, when there's conversation, when disciples are asking questions, when Jesus is questioning them, when he's talking to them and teaching... We don't hear of Judas being one of those people. So I think he was just around more than really being close. In fact, the closest we see of Judas to Jesus is when he gives him the kiss of betrayal. By comparison, Mary spent less time with Jesus, but better quality of time. In the three stories of Mary, Mary and Martha, raising of Lazarus from the dead, and in this one, Mary was at the feet of Jesus. 
Mary and Martha, she was there sitting while Martha did the serving. When Lazarus died, Mary came to Jesus and fell at his feet in grief. And on this occasion, she's anointing Jesus' feet. And I think that symbolises that she had humility. Um, She was willing to submit to who Jesus was and self-sacrifice. So I think it tells us that uh, being at the feet of Jesus in uh, expression of our love and humility for him is more important than just being on the fringe and hanging around. But we have an interesting contrast. Which of the two really is a true disciple of Jesus? Judas was officially one of the twelve. Mary was just a local. But we can see that the privilege of position really is no substitute for a genuine faith and obedience. That's what made that close connection that Mary had. In the time Mary spent with Jesus, her journey took her closer to Jesus. In terms of her understanding and love for him. Initially, when she was sitting at Martha's feet, she may consider him to be a wonderful teacher. He's got something good to say, and I want to hear what that might be. When she saw her brother come out of that tomb after being dead for four days, she realized Jesus was a miracle worker. And her act of anointing Jesus' feet with the perfume, she acknowledged Jesus as king. So her journey towards all in is growing closer and closer and closer. In that journey, she was transformed by love and transformed to love. And she was willing to give all she could to Jesus. By comparison, the time Judas spent with Jesus, his journey took him away from Jesus. He had the same starting point as Mary. He would have seen Jesus as a wonderful teacher. And it must have been an amazing thing to have been called as one of those 12 disciples. But for Judas, from there, it was downhill. From being a teacher, he would have seen Jesus to being an indirect prospect. As long as I can hang around with this crowd, and as long as I have the money bag, and as long as people are donating or funds are coming and going, I have a chance to get a few dollars out of this. And from that indirect prospect to a direct opportunity, well, it's not just hanging around anymore, but I can get a lot of money for Jesus. So his journey, he was transformed into a dark place where he was willing to get all he could by exchanging Jesus. I think the second similarity is that their internal motives were expressed externally. With Judas, his motive was, what's in this for me? An attitude that eventually derailed him. He sought to gain, there was greed, a desire to get out of it what he could. From an outsider's point of view, Judas's actions in this story might seem quite reasonable though. I mean, he was the group's treasurer, he was being responsible, he was saying, well, we could have done more with this money, we could have sold the perfume, done a lot for the poor, a year's wages would do a lot. But his actions are revealing more about him than what was known. It revealed a heart in love with himself, in love with money, neither of which have a place in the life of a disciple. But he was also blinded to the more righteous actions of Mary. 
She was wanting to worship Jesus and give all she could to him. He couldn't see that because he was blinded by his own greed and his own needs. Mary was possibly busier internally than externally. I think she's the kind of person who would think and would uh, deliberate and ponder over things. But she sought to give and to give at any cost. She was the one who wanted to worship Jesus. And Jesus' response was, you'll always have the poor with you, but you won't always have me. And that doesn't mean that Jesus was disregarding the poor, but saying that acts of service to the poor comes out of worship with Jesus. That that was the right order, the right priority. Let's worship Jesus first and consider then what uh, we're called to do. There's a challenge there for us to, um, to really consider our motives in service. It's good to serve, serve others, but the challenge is why are we doing that? And where is Jesus in that? Do we serve him for the satisfaction that we get when you see results? Or do we serve Jesus because it's good to help other people? But again, that's not the right motivation. It's gratifying to see others helped. But the true motive for serving Jesus should be because he's worthy of everything that we can do for him. That we want to worship him because we love him. We want to please him. He gave himself on the cross. And I think we learn that from Mary's act of devotion. And Jesus knew that his time on earth was coming to an end. And it was appropriate for Mary to anoint him in that way. It was right that Mary would honour Jesus. There's no real indication of why Mary did that. The most obvious possibly would be because of her sheer gratitude that Jesus had raised Lazarus from the dead. Or because of the revelation that she had of Jesus' identity and power and authority. But even so, to an outsider, Mary's act could seem rather improper. Irresponsible using that amount of perfume and wasting that much money I think we have to catch ourselves and think today in this day and age that it's easy to find faults with someone else's actions someone can be responding to God in a way that worships God that honours him, that gives what they can and we can easily sit back and judge that think wow I wouldn't have done it that way or couldn't they have done such and such and we have to realise that If someone's heart is all in for God, then their actions, their motives, what they're doing may not seem proper to us and we can't be in a place of judgment. Mary knew she was worshipping God and that God would provide for all her needs. The third similarity is that the actions of Judas and Mary both had a costly end goal. For Judas... Jesus was the means to the end goal. For Mary, Jesus was the end goal. For Judas, it cost him his life. For Mary, well, it cost her life as well, but in a different sense. Mary's life was given wholly to worship and service of Jesus. Her wants and needs were no longer her own. They weren't part of the equation anymore. So there was a cost for them both. 
From a practical point of view, this perfume, it's mentioned a year's wage. Well, I googled what would be the basic minimum yearly wage in Australia, um, and that would be $35,000. Anyone who's working full-time, even at the basic wage, to at least get $35,000. So if we equate this perfume with $35,000, it kind of puts it in perspective, doesn't it? We don't know where she got that from. Was it uh, a family inheritance? Was it something that someone had saved? Was it a special gift for her to be sold and the money to be used for herself? Well, we just don't know where it comes from. But it was a huge amount of money. But it cost Mary more than just that money. It would have cost her socially because it wasn't the done thing at that time for women to be sitting at the feet of a teacher, even if it's Jesus. That's just not what they did. So she was doing something that was socially seen to be a bit unusual, a bit out there. And of course then when she got to the stage of using her hair to wipe his feet, that would have raised a few eyebrows as well. What is all this about? What is she doing? So as well as the money, it cost her a reputation, it cost her perhaps social standing, going against norms, it would have cost her criticism. But she was doing that all because she knew that she wanted to worship Jesus. It's important to remember that selfishness seeks to get, that was Judas, but love loves to give without counting the cost. And while the use of the perfume could be seen as wasteful, this is actually a story about how not to waste a life. Mary gave all she possibly could to Jesus. Judas tried to get all he could from Jesus and his life was wasted. The Bible tells us in John 12, 25, anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Judas's wasted life was perhaps history's saddest case of a wasted opportunity. You imagine what that could have brought about, time with Jesus. We hear um, through the New Testament, through the books of Acts and so forth, of the things that other um, disciples did, but, uh, but not Judas. It was a real wasted opportunity. I read a story about um, some missionaries recently, and at first uh, glance it might be that their life was wasted They work with the Wycliffe organisation, which is an organisation that um, publishes Bibles in hundreds of different languages around the world. And uh, a Wycliffe director and his wife had many years ago been assigned to translate the Bible to one of South Americans' Indian tribal, uh, into one of their Indian tribal languages. Now, that's a lengthy and tedious process, um, and it can take as as long as 20 years. Um, This was before computers and word processors and so forth. The first stage the missionaries have is being accepted and trusted by the tribe. They then have to learn the tribal language. They then have to create a written form of that language because mostly that didn't exist. They then had to teach the tribe the written form of language so they could read and write and translate the Bible into that language. The story goes on that during the process, the translators were teaching the scriptures. 
And they were seeing a new church emerging from amongst the tribe. But as they came towards the end of that period of translation, the end of that 20 years, the tribal people were becoming more and more involved in selling their crops to the drug trade and less and less interested in the scriptures. When they finally finished the translation of the New Testament and scheduled the dedication service, not one person came. For many years after, the missionary wife was angry and bitter. She'd given 20 years of her life so that these people could have the scriptures, but they didn't even want it. After years of disillusionment, she eventually came to a point where she could testify that God had been washing his word over her soul and healing her. And he'd opened her eyes to see all of this from his perspective. She realised that they did it for him. Not for the tribe, not for their own satisfaction, but purely for him. That was the only thing that can make any sense in all of that. She said, we did it for God. So it was 20 years of life wasted was $35,000 worth of perfume wasted. No, it's all in, and it's all for the love of God. And the fourth thing they had in common was both Judas and Mary had an impact on Jesus. Ultimately, Judas gave people a reason to condemn Jesus. That was his impact on Jesus. Mary made Jesus more fragrant and appealing. As mentioned, he was only a short time away from his crucifixion, where he proved he was all in for us. One Bible commentator says, after considering the nature of the perfume, it was highly possible that the soldiers who nailed Jesus' feet to the cross would still smell the fragrance. A fragrance associated with royalty and I wonder what impact it would have had them on that day the challenge for us is simple our life our worship of Jesus our service of him does it make Jesus more appealing or does it give people a reason to condemn him sadly the royal commission into child abuse gives an extreme example of how greed and self-gratifying motives of men can make the idea of a loving God repulsive to the community. If those who bear God's name behave in that manner, why should anyone follow him? That's an extreme example, I know. But give consideration to your own actions. Does what you do Does how you respond to work colleagues who may make you angry or upset. How you respond to neighbours who uh, perhaps are tossing palm branches from their tree over your fence. I threw them back over yesterday. (laughs) It's what we're doing each day, making Jesus more appealing to others, making him more fragrant, drawing others to him. Or are we giving people that reason to shun Jesus and to condemn him? You know, Easter is not far away. 
And it's one of the big events in the Christian calendar each year, isn't it? For me, it's a time of reflection and contemplation that doesn't have the the hustle and bustle associated with Christmas and buying gifts and organising big dinners and what family are going where. It has a, a more simplistic approach and I think that's more conducive to reflection and to thinking and just seeing where things are. The chance to reflect on Jesus' sacrifice to us and it cost more than $35,000, I'm sure. It cost him intense pain and agony, physically and emotionally and spiritually. He was all in love and all for us. It gives us a chance to contemplate on that. What's our response to the love that Jesus has? Where are we on the way, on our journey towards all in? Does what we do come from a sense of all for love for him? Or is there a degree of Judas in it? What can I get out of doing this? The Bible says in Psalm 139, 23 and 24, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me to the way everlasting. We can see through the story that Jesus could look beyond the words of Judas. He knew his heart. He could look into the actions of Mary and see her heart. And he does the same for us. He looks beyond the words, beyond the actions, and into the heart. He's looking for hearts that are all in. For hearts that will love him. I'll get the band to come forward, please. And we're going to have a, a time of ministry. I started by talking about all in being a journey, a journey that has changes and uh, detours and twists and turns along the way. The journey is an individual one. We have to make that decision. We have to make the choices. We have to decide what our end goal is, where our destination is. But the good news is this. The journey is not one that we take alone. It's individual, but we don't have to take it alone. I was listening to a podcast this week and it emphasised the importance of the Christian church being a family. And the good thing about family is that we all do different kind of things to support one another. And that's what this church is all about as well. And I think it's important to realise that we can't really be all in without the support of people around us. And a time of ministry allows us to do that. And it might be that there are needs that you have, things that haven't been expressed on the prayer cards, that haven't been expressed to other people. But it is that you just want to bring that to God and as a family we support each other doing that and shortly we'll have a time if you want to come down the front for a time of prayer then please do and you just watch there'll be people from this family to come and to spend time with you and to pray with you maybe um, this message you've been challenged to think about your motives your motives more like Mary that all in that whatever it costs 
response to Jesus? Um, or are your motives more, well, what can I get? What's in it for me? What about me? I'm giving all this and I'm not getting anything in return. Are you being challenged if, uh, if you're finding that you're too self-centred, too focused, that Jesus is this teacher, but you're going downhill from that point rather than growing to understand him to be the miracle worker, the son of God, the king of kings. Or perhaps you feel that you're in a position where you're striving and it's all about your own energy and your own effort rather than allowing God, spirit, to work through you and to evolve and to change you into something brand new. Maybe you're feeling a little despondent like the... Wycliffe Bible translators that what you're doing over time and time has no impact but realise that you're doing it for God and that's all that matters maybe as Claire challenged us during communion it's about an attitude swapping an attitude and being aware of all that's around maybe you want to come down and pray for somebody else who you know has need maybe it's about the cost maybe God is calling you to sacrifice a year's wage 35,000 or more maybe God is calling you to sacrifice your social standing to put yourself in a place where you'll be criticised or misunderstood and maybe you're wrestling with that not wanting to Give the cost. Maybe you haven't even started that journey of all in. And perhaps you want to say, Jesus, yes, that's where my heart is now. That's where I want to be for you. I want to be all in. Perhaps you just want quiet time of prayer. But as a family, let's do the journey together. You're not alone. You've only got to speak out, share this with someone. There'll be people to pray with you, to uh, talk with you, to um, just stand near you as you talk with God. So we'll stand and sing what a powerful name this is. And if you want to come and pray and just have a time of ministry, then please do. Let's stand.